1: Labors in the Harvest podcast. This is your host Kevin Folger and I'm so glad that you could join me today. If you've been with us the last few weeks you know that we have had an ongoing conversation that we continue week to week with Brother Sam Davison. This is the third and final segment of that particular conversation and I think you'll find this one most fascinating. Brother Sam talks about his taking the pastorate in Oklahoma City and then of course the differences between pastoring a more country type of church or more rural smaller type of church to a metropolitan church and then we talk about the establishment of Heartland Baptist Bible College and what God did in helping him to understand or how God put that together there in Oklahoma City and I think that you'll find uh this is a very very important uh, conversation one that you can glean from. So I want to thank you for joining me, and I thank you that uh, you have been a part of this. If you haven't listened to the first two parts of it, I'd encourage you to go back and listen to the those parts and then pick up today's uh, segment. But once again, Kevin Folger, thank you for joining us uh, for this particular conversation with Brother Sam Davison. Well, welcome back to Labor's and the Harvest. This is Kevin Folger, your host, and we're continuing our conversation with Brother Sam Davison. And if you were listening last week he was talking about how god moved him from stillwater oklahoma to oklahoma city to southwest baptist church and uh he, we just were finishing about uh a meeting that god had uh, he had there that he knew that god was uh calling him and he got the call but just barely so let's talk about what happened in the first couple of years there at southwest brother sam
2: yeah well the church had to you had to have 85 percent of the vote to get called as pastor and so they were casting my secret ballot uh, during Sunday school. I've listened to the recording of this. And so after Sunday school, they announced that I had 84.6% of the vote. And so the head of the uh, public committee said, now I work in numbers and in my business, we round it up if it's more than 50%. So that's. So we, we have the 85%. And the pastor, Brother Harrison, was conducting that service. And he stepped up and said, no, Jim, no, we're not going to do that. We're not going to leave any question. Either the man's going to be the pastor by 85% or not. So uh, this is the funny part of it. He said, I want all of you that were not here to cast your ballot in Sunday school. And our policy and our bylaws allow for this. You are not here. For Sunday school to cast your ballot in, and you want to vote right now, would you stand? And he counted and counted 17 people. He said, first of all, shaming you for not being here for Sunday school. If I had my way and the way I feel, you wouldn't even get to vote. (laughs) (laughs) That is so funny. (laughs) And he said, now, uh, all of you that are in favor of Sam Davison being the pastor remain standing. And all 17 people stood, remain standing. And so I got the call by that small margin right there. So I've had great resentment for preachers that get ninety-five and hundred uh, percent, you know, percent of the vote because I didn't. I just made it by the skin of my teeth twice. <laughs>
1: <laughs> what uh, what was uh, what was kind of the the going in? Um, you know, obviously going from Stillwater to Oklahoma City. Uh, Stillwater's in a, in a town, obviously a university town, uh, and uh, so it's not necessarily small, but it's not it's not Oklahoma City. So, what what were some of the differences that you faced in in pastoring change, changing there?
2: Yeah, one of the things I loved about Stillwater was the size of the town fifty, you know, forty five to fifty thousand people, and university, and a, a lot of transition. I hated. The transient nature of the town when I first went there but I grew to appreciate it because it always kept new blood coming through the church and then Stillwater started growing on its own and becoming something more than a university town and uh, I always loved uh, being there by the time I left Stillwater I was the senior pastor of the city no but no pastor in town had been there as long as I'd been at Bible Battles and so I could be a pastor to a lot of people that really weren't members of our church if you know what I mean you know I at least witnessed to them and even some of the business people and such as that I did funerals for people that never did come to our church and try to reach people that way so I loved it that the town was big enough you were never out of prospects it's small enough that you could have a real presence there and an impact which brother Wayne Hardy has made good use of that Mm -hmm. in the years that he's been there and so going to Oklahoma City, you know, I thought, well, we'll try radio like I did in Stillwater. Well, the price of radio in Oklahoma City in Stillwater is <laughs> quite a different same with newspaper advertising. And then in a, in a metro area of about a million people, you know, you just you, you just feel kind of swallowed up by it.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And so that was different. And the sizes of the church were different, not as great as some might have thought, because back in those days, we was doing 450 to 500 at Bible Baptist. And the Southwest was doing just over and under 700. So you know, there was a difference, but it wasn't that much. So when I went to uh, Southwest, though, I inherited a four man staff. And, uh, and said that we're overstaffed. That's, that's how I look at it. And sometimes I laugh about it, because it almost reminds me of politicians that say presidential candidates that say government is too big and they get elected and make government bigger, you know. <laughs> well, I said we're overstaffed, and in two years we double the size of the staff, you know. <laughs> but it had to do with the incredible response of the people. Uh, I thought they wouldn't receive somebody like me, that the church and what I was used to, what they were used to is so different. But the core of that church just basically wanted an old fashioned, fundamental Bible believing church. And they wanted preaching. And just everything we did, God put his hand on it and touched it. And we went from uh, 700 in the first Sunday of May to we hit a thousand on a regular Sunday by that October. Wow. So just what was taking place and the response to the people and new people coming. The, the church just took off mm-hmm. and so there were a lot of adjustments that had to do with time demands and such as that and i had to become far more strict in my time management i wrote a letter to our church and told them i've got to have the mornings to study on my primary responsibility is to feed the flock mm-hmm. i want to be ready to preach above all else could you give me the mornings and i wrote them a letter like i sat down to talk to them you know and the response I got from that made me for the next year to write a pastoral letter every year, and just mm. share my heart with was going on. Sure. And so they did that, made those kind of adjustments and then staff changes and managing staff. Dave Hardy told me before I ever went there, he said, Sam, at Southwest, the first thing you're going to have to do is learn to pastor your church staff. Because mm. he said that church is going to grow and you can't pastor as many people yourself as are going to be there. If you don't pastor the staff to help you. And I just kind of thought, yeah, well, okay. That's your opinion. You know, I, I had no idea at that time how accurate he was. Right. That's where, that's where we had to shift the focus. And so as the church grew, as you know, how that is, as the church grew, I missed some of the personal touch I had because you can only, you know, you're only one person. Mm -hmm. So I missed some of that. But then I did have good staff, mm-hmm. love of God's people, the favor of God. It was just a wonderful, wonderful experience.
1: Well, through the years, of course, I've had the opportunity to be at Southwest for numbers of occasions. Uh, sometimes uh, have the great privilege of preaching there, but being there for many, many a, a service, many, many a fellowship meeting. And, uh, you know, it's just a, it's a wonderful, wonderful congregation. And you had quite a run there and God really blessed it. but uh, obviously you saw the need of transition, but before you ever, before we talk about the transition of, from yourself to Brother Gaddis, can we talk a little bit about how God worked in your heart, um, about the founding or the establishment of a Bible college? What, what was the situation that really kind of precipitated that?
2: Well, uh, it's, uh, (laughs) it, it is an incredible story. I, was told by uh, a very very well-known preacher in 1996 he said uh, sam one day you'll have a bible college in Oklahoma City and you need to have a bible college in Oklahoma City and i honestly brother Kevin i laughed right in his face i i just laughed and he just sat there and looked at me and said you'll see and he said you you need to have and i said i guarantee you this i barely made it through three years of bible college They were starting fourth year at BBC the year after I left. And I I said, I'm going to go to fourth year. And Eli Hardy, the academic dean, said, Sam, you are not fourth year material. So I left school, you know, (laughs) and to think about uh, having a Bible college. No, I mean, I appreciate your heart, your thought, but that's not going to happen. And so, you know, but then as things went on and the division and the controversy and the strife that took place, Um, as you know, while I was serving as president of Adventist Bible Fellowship, and and felt like I had to take a stand about what was going on at our Bible college, uh, then uh, I thought, well, I don't know what I'm going to do. I had a couple of places in mind I thought we'd send our students, since I didn't feel like I could send them back to Springfield, or I thought about starting uh, an institute. You know what that's like? I thought about Having a Bible Institute, but I tried that for one year at Stillwater, and it was a far bigger project than I was ready for. So I didn't know if uh, if that would work or not. So, in the process of just thinking about, Lord, you're going to have to show us what to do with our students from Southwest Baptist Church. We got young people going to Bible college, a, a good number of them, and I've got to know what to do about this. Help me, help me. And that's when I got a call that PCBBC was wanting to move. And uh, so that's a pretty long story I'll uh, avoid. But eventually Terry Randolph and I got together at the same time. I, quote, found the campus we now have, unquote, and uh, wasn't looking for it. And I told him about it. And then, Brother Kevin, honestly, uh, as you your involvement, you you pretty much are aware of what took place there. Mm -hmm. That I don't feel like I pulled this string or that string. Uh, Terry Randolph was the president of PCBBC, masterful job of dealing with the property there, acquiring the property in Oklahoma City, and leading in the MOOC. Now, I'm not saying I had nothing to do with it, but Terry Randolph was the leader of that thing. Right. And I honestly felt like that I was standing on the sidelines watching something unfold that was amazing in my sight. Right. And so I got accused of stealing the school and all kinds of stuff like that. But I can't do anything about that. I just know what happened. And what happened was to see the hand of God time and time again when it looked like this. Nope, it's not going to happen. Nope, this is an impossible hurdle right here. And every time it looked impossible, God moved again. You remember that
1: yeah those were those were amazing days i still remember really? flying into oklahoma city and getting on a bus and going over that campus and walking through some of those buildings thinking how's this going to happen the buildings are here but boy is there a lot of work <laughs> oh boy
2: yeah. oh boy
1: well we're grateful for what god did and of course heartland is a very thriving bible college doing a tremendous job and uh training uh training labors for the harvest we're grateful for that well we're going to kind of wrap this up today by uh, just i wanted to have you talk a little bit about your transition out of the pastorate of course uh you know you're a little bit older than i am but uh there is a need there comes a time when when a man needs to step out because uh, of just god obviously wanting a church to continue on and so let's talk a little bit about the importance of if if at all possible training and 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 helping a church find its next pastor can you can you speak to that for just a moment
2: i uh, i would love yeah. to yeah sure would. sure
1: okay so how did that work at at Southwest? What did God do in your life about in preparing in preparing for a, a young man by the name of Jason Gabbs to come and join your staff?
2: Well, um, uh, I came to the place um, where I felt like God was moving to be ready in case I dropped dead of a heart attack, mm-hmm. killed a car wreck, plane crash or whatever the case, get uh, incapacitated somehow. And uh, and I just knew that with the school and the and Southwest, I just knew there's so much at stake here that I we I have to I have to be able to have somebody prepared, somebody in line. And so there were two men and Jason was the first. Brother Jason was the first. And then um, so I talked to Brother Jason about this. He was still pastoring in Republic, Missouri. And so uh, I told him what was on my heart. I knew that uh, and I I honestly thought, Brother Kevin, I thought I would pastor till I was 70 years old. Mm -hmm. I did. So this is in uh, the year of 2002. And so, you know, I was 57 years old. I thought I'd at least pastor till I was 70, if not beyond. And so anyway, I started talking to Brother Jason. Well, he had promised the church at Republic he'd be there three years. So uh, he couldn't um, make a commitment. So he said, I can't do that. And I said, well, I've got I've to keep looking. I feel like the Lord's impressing this on my heart. So I talked to the guy that I had in mind second. And he prayed about it. And he said, I, I'm where I'm supposed to be. And he's still there, by the way, doing a wonderful work. He said, I'm where I'm supposed to be, Brother Sam, as much as attractive as that seems to me, I can't do it. So then after a year, Brother Jason uh, and I got back together and in 2003, he came. Well, I met him when he was 16 years old. I was preaching youth camp in Chautauqua, Ohio. And I just told my wife, I said, I met this kid here. His name is Jason Gaddis. He's from uh, Marvin Carson's church. He was uh, with us in school and church at BBC. And I said, uh, this young man, he's got a girlfriend, which, by the way, was Miss Angie. Mm -hmm. That's now his wife. And I said, boy, they're just special kids. I said, there's something special about this guy. So that was then. And I talked to Jason a lot when he was a kid there at camp. Then when our uh, future son-in-law went to BBC and some of the other guys out of Southwest Uh, Brother Jason was the dorm supervisor and one of them, the guy that sent my son-in-law was a roommate of his for a time. And I'd go to preach at chapel at BBC or be with our students and Brother Jason would be there. We wound up talking to him and I don't know, he just kept coming into the picture. And so um, whenever it was time to really start praying about it, God just put, I, I feel like God just put Jason on my heart. And uh, I knew him uh, from Brother Copes and just knew him from the fellows, the, you know, students from Southwest that knew him at, at uh, Bible College. And so then we got together and he came and in about, uh, he, by the way, I should say, Jason, Miss Angie and Sandra and I were the only ones that knew we had anything in mind about mentoring or Anything like that for future pastor, mm-hmm. he was the only one. I didn't talk to anybody. And after Jason, brother Jason, had been with us for about six months at southwest, we had people come to me, uh, good people in our church, you know, discerning people, and they would say, uh, Is he in our future? Do you have something up your sleeve? <laughs> Are you thinking about leaving? I had a couple of every, every church has smart elites, two old guys come <laughs> up to me and said. You're getting old, people. Why don't you get out of the way and let this young man preach? You know? so I said, well, the only reason I don't leave right now is because of people like you. I'm going to stay here and harass you. So anyway, and uh, so it, it it just became very obvious to people that Brother Jason was a fit there. 2005, I sat down with, our, with Brother Ted, Ted Inman, who will be there 30 years this coming summer. And I said, Brother Ted, got to think about a pastor. And it's not going to be you, Brother Ted. I'm thinking about somebody for the future. He said, Oh, I know that, Brother Sam. In fact, I know who it is. And he told me how he was convinced Jason Gaddis should be the next pastor if I should step aside. And so that was in 2005. I began to share it with the deacons. And the deacons, uh, I announced that the person that I would recommend would be Jason Gaddis. They sat there and stared at me. And I said, You know, I can usually read you guys, I really can't understand. And the former pastor's son, Bruce, is a deacon. And Bruce raised his hand and said, Brother Sam, I think you think you're surprising us. You're not surprising us at all. We could see this coming Mm -hmm. a while back. And so the deacons all knew, you know, they could see what was taking place. And so that's great confirmation Mm -hmm. right there. And then uh, in the year of 2008, the Friday after Thanksgiving, the Friday after Thanksgiving, is when I knew that morning in prayer, I knew God put it on my heart that my 20th anniversary, May 2nd of 2010, would be my last Sunday. Mm-hmm. And so then I started presenting it to our deacons, to our all of our officers, our leaders, and then to the church and in in 2009, one year before I would step aside, the church voted by 97% of the vote to call Jason. And so I don't know, it was just step by step, and God kept confirming, kept confirming every step we took. It was just amazing to watch. Yeah.
1: You know, it's there's something to be said about that. I just, um, you know, having walked through that both as someone following someone as well as, you know, helping our church find the next pastor. Sure. It just it it's I, I just convinced that we've somehow we've missed that through the years. And all of a sudden it's like, why haven't we been doing this all along? You know, you know, and I suppose in some places pastors don't earn the right to do that because of the way they behave themselves. But when a man conducts himself with with honor and pastors a church well, you know, his best interest is of course to see that church continue and just to walk away from it and not help them is not a, a good process.
2: Yeah. yeah. So, no that's very true and and uh you know i think uh, the the flock I, I always go back to the shepherd and the flock mm-hmm. and the flock appreciates the fact that their shepherd cares for them mm-hmm. to not leave them without a shepherd right and there might be places where there's power struggles and such as that sure. but southwest was a pastor pastored church all mm-hmm. of Bert harrison's ministry and all of our ministry. So for 49 years, the yeah. church was a pastor led church. Right. And you could, I would be willing for anybody to go ask any of the deacons or the officers that were involved at that time. And I never one time got heavy handed or had to get heavy handed, right. you know, just kind of lead it step by step. And the people embrace it. And God showed his hand in it. It's a it, it's it's it'll be one of my favorite memories of all time yeah. definitely as, as a preacher. Well,
1: you, and our situation, of course, is a little different because it was my son, and so for that reason, I had to kind of take perhaps a little bit more of a step back. And, uh-huh. and you know, although I knew in my heart what God was doing and I knew what what God wanted, but I had uh-huh. to allow the people to see it, and they obviously did sure. see it, and they. They yeah. really became almost the initiators of it, you know. Yeah. So it's it's yeah. a blessing when God does it in, in a great way. Well, yeah. um, Brother Sam, uh, maybe a young man listening to today, he's never been to Heartland Baptist Bible College, may have heard you preach. Um, but if you had the opportunity to sit down with a young man who was either considering ministry or is just young in the ministry, just take maybe two minutes and just kind of wrap this up today and say, here's what I'd like to like to share with you from my heart about a young preacher and what his focus ought to be.
2: Uh, I I would, I would say to any young man, remember Jesus words. If you lose your life to his will for his sake, you find life. Amen. If you save your life from his will Mm -hmm. and his purposes, you lose life. You lose what he would have had. And my wife and I talk about this a lot now that we're on the other side of pastoring at the stage of life we are. We've been married 55 years, we're 75 years old. And to think back about the providential care of God and his patience and faithfulness, that to think of living my life any other way than serving the Lord and preaching the word. And being in ministry and knowing I'm in the center of his will, Mm -hmm. I shudder to think it almost brings me to tears. Yeah, To think about how once one act of rebellion or resistance to God's will can affect your whole entire life. Yes, sir. So my advice is give your life completely to Jesus. However, he makes it play out. Mm -hmm. It'll be right. Give your life completely to him.
1: Well, I sure wanted to let you know I love you. I appreciate you, and thank you for being a friend to me and a mentor in many respects and uh, a guy that I've always just been able to look up to, and I appreciate your faithfulness and and your consistency in preaching the Word of God, Brother Sam.
2: Well, thank you, Brother Kevin. I sure do thank God for your friendship, and I love you like a brother and a niece and thankful for Cleveland Baptist Church. You know what I think of Cleveland. Yes, sir. I know. Yes, sir.
1: Well, thank you again, folks, for joining us today on Labors in the Harvest podcast. And uh, again, we appreciate so much you joining us. We hope you have a great day. Well, in some respects, I'm kind of sorry to see uh, this uh, particular segment coming to an end. Uh, We could have talked on and on with uh, Brother Sam in regards to life and ministry. We really touched so very little of of, uh, really what we could talk about in regards to his life and the journey that God has taken him on. But I'm very grateful for the time that he gave to us and for the opportunity we had to, uh, to be able to record it and uh, be able to hopefully memorialize it uh, for time and uh, that as years go by, if Jesus doesn't come. Um, perhaps younger people could get a hold of this and listen to this particular conversation. Well, thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule today to listen to Labors in the Harvest. I want to encourage you to uh, let us know if this uh, particular ministry is a blessing to you. I've heard from some folks, and certainly uh, I know that life is busy, and sometimes we don't get the opportunity to um, sit down or take the opportunity to sit down and let someone know that God has used uh, something in their life. If God has used this in your heart and your life to be an encouragement to you, it encourages us to keep on. So thank you again for being a listener. We're grateful for this opportunity to uh, be with you today. Hope that you have a great Tuesday.
0: Thanks for listening. We hope that you've been encouraged by today's podcast. If you've been helped, please subscribe and share this podcast with your friends. Please feel free to leave us a comment and or a rating. If you'd like more information about Kevin Folger, please visit his website, kevinfolger.com. We invite you to join us next time with more conversations with Kevin and his guests as they tell their story of being laborers in the harvest.